Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Larson looking to go up the middle and win himself the Daytona 500, but he's got no help right now. The challenge is for the lead. Joey, look out. Oh, they're in the wall. A.J. Allmendinger is in the fence. The entire pack blows up. A number of cars crashing. Bubba Wallace is in it. Eric Alvarola as the leaders race to the back straightaway. Caution is on the speedway. The race is deemed official. NASCAR, by rule, who is leading when the caution flag gets called. We're hearing that it is official. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has won the Daytona 500 for JTG Doherty Racing. The Daytona 500 last year, we were in position to win. Um, you know, we were leading with a uh, you know four or five to go, and, and got spun. It's part of it. But uh, I told the guys if I would take that same situation again. And NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you. And we have arrived on the scene in Daytona for Speed Weeks 2024. This weekend, we'll crown a new champion of the Daytona 500. And on this week's show... We'll talk to last year's winner of the Great American Race. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will stop by. We'll also hear from drivers that are competing in open cars as they'll potentially have to race their way in to the field for the Daytona 500. They'll do that through Thursday's exercise, which is the Blue-Green Vacations Duel. Cole Custer will join us to discuss his defense of his 2023 NASCAR Xfinity Series title and a lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest headlines in NASCAR. Kyle? Mike, NASCAR released the list of approved drivers competing for the 2024 Rookie of the Year titles in all three of the National Series, starting with the Cup Series. Josh Berry, Zane Smith, Carson Hosevar, and Kaz Grala will all battle for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors. On the Xfinity Series side, the approved rookies include Jesse Love, Dawson Cram, Shane Van Gisbergen, Haley Deegan, and Leland Honeyman. And rounding it out in the Craftsman Truck Series, Lane Riggs, Thad Moffat, and Connor Jones. The Great American Race is back this week, and the man that will help get the festivities underway is DJ Khalid. Daytona International Speedway announced that the Grammy Award-winning artist has been named the honorary starter as he'll wave the green flag for the start of the 66th running of the Daytona 500. And three, she will return to Richard Childress Racing and Kyle Busch's car as the primary sponsor. The number of races has yet to be announced by the team. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, I'll sit down with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. The NASCAR season is here and Toyota Racing is looking for clashers. 
Did you clash at the Coliseum with your favorite Toyota drivers? Clashing with the HOA who won't let you carve bell number 20 into your lawn? Or maybe your Tyler Reddick shirt clashed with your pants while meeting the in-laws? If you're a clasher, then we want you. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. No team started out 2023 like GTG Doherty Racing. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the Daytona 500 for the organization and claimed his spot in the history books. This week, Ricky will defend that title as champion of the Great American Race. How does he plan to do that? Well, I called up with him to discuss exactly that. My number one question is, where is the Daytona 500 trophy right now? Daytona 500 trophy is when you're walking from kind of the back of our house towards, um, you know, the kitchen area and living room. Um, I see it every day. It's, um, you know, the only trophy we have out. And uh, we got a nice table for it, a decorative table. And, yeah, I get to see it every time I walk to the kitchen. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you look at it? What snapshot goes off in your head? Just the kind of the victory lane uh, with, I mean, it's a victory lane like, you know, none other. And, you know, the the kind of chaos commotion that kind of came with that victory lane. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to win it again so that I think everything would be a little bit slower and, and be able to enjoy it a little bit. It was so chaotic that uh, I kind of don't remember parts, I feel like. They say that when you win the Daytona 500, it's a life-changing moment, a professional changing moment. Would you agree? And if so, how has yours changed? I definitely think so. I think, you know, in, in a lot of the, the fans' eyes, your peers' eyes, um, you know, other race teams, and, and really just, you know, kind of the country in general. Uh, you know, when you go do things outside of our sport and they announce you as a Daytona 500 champion – people that follow our sport or don't most of them know what that is and uh that's that's pretty cool i was gonna say you're on an elite list yeah it's like being a part of and some heavy hitters are on that list and your name's right in the middle of it yeah i think you know for me i think the biggest takeaway from that weekend and and i know the importance and how big it is uh, I, I i feel like i noticed that when del senior won the 500 and and like kind of what all transpired you know on pit road and and things like that but when i got done with the 500 this year in victory lane and and media went back to the bus lot uh tony's bus has always been right behind mine went over there to see him he wanted to congratulate me and he wanted he took the ring off and, and put it on and said that he would trade a championship for one of those and so i was like holy cow like you know that that shows you the importance of of that race in our sport and um so that was that was a pretty cool moment speaking of of snapshots so you've taken the white flag you're coming back around and as you come out of four and you're looking at the flag stand and you're the one leading what is going through your mind? You're obviously focused on the task. Well, hand. at that point, technically, I mean, the caution came out in one and two. 
So like we took the white flag, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I knew that was the number one priority, right? Is, is get to the white flag. We're, we're battling for the lead. Um, I had to block either Larson or Bell and Larson had way too big of a run that if I'd if I tried to block him, we were all going to wreck. Um, so I stuck to the bottom, and Bell gave me a huge shove. But Larson disrupted that middle lane and outside lane enough that you know it, it surged me ahead of the, the 22. And then I saw him wrecking in my mirror, and I was like, oh, I was well ahead of the 22 when the caution came out. Looking back now, I mean, it was inches. But, um, you know, so for me, you know, that was – I took the white flag – and everything that I was doing from that point on was trying to figure out how I was going to le- be leading when I got back to that start-finish line. And so I felt like I was doing everything correctly, and, and luckily we were leading when the caution came out. But then, um, you know, I was trying to maintain speed because that's a rule, you know, when the caution comes out. But I, I was also trying to conserve gas because I knew we were we were tight. And... Um, Logano was trying to kind of race me back to the to the line. He he felt like he was leading when the caution came out. So it was a bummer. The picture that we got coming across the finish line, technically Logano's in front of me. Um, so it was a bummer, but um, it was wild. At what point did you realize you were going to win the Daytona 500? And what were those mental snapshots like when you came to that realization? Uh, I mean, I felt like I had realized it as soon as the caution came out. And, you know, but I would say even like thinking back into the race a little bit, I would say, you know, five ish, eight to go. I felt like, you know, hey, we're going to win this. Like, I just felt confident about, you know, what we were about to do and and capable of doing. Um, You know, but when we won and the caution came out, it was it was just kind of like again just chaos like I, I don't like i didn't get to do a burnout we were out of fuel uh, you know getting up on the car and just your mind is running so many different directions you don't really know what to do you know the crew guys came out running you know i jumped and they caught me and you know got the checkered flag and all that and then i turned around and i had to sit in the car forever because my guys ran back to the pit road and i had no way to firing it up to get back so i had to wait on you know a record to, to push me to to victory lane so that was a bummer but um man just life-changing and now you're going to go back and try it all again in a year that coming off last year you know had you not made it with a win on on and to get into the playoffs you would have gotten there on points it seemed to be an uptick in performance last year how does that carry over now and where is this team going into 2024 big uptick from 22 i I think we had four good races in in 2022 and, and they were four races in a row we finished in the top 10 four races in a row but everything other than that was um i would say kind of catastrophe for us in, in 2022 with the new car and you know just kind of searched and searched and and last off season i felt like we we found a lot of answers or at least you know at the time we thought we found a lot of answers it was good to validate that throughout the season 
but you know it kind of narrowed our you know what we needed to work on uh, for for this offseason and so I, I feel confident you know more than ever going into 24 that you know we've been working on those right things and you know I think qualifying is, is our biggest you know kind of Achilles heel uh, last year in, in 23 we had to overcome starting in the back a lot and if we can if we can overcome that I think our performance um, you know can be better than what it was last year how big a role does Mike Kelly play in all this? Mike Kelly's a, a, a big role player uh, in our team. Not only, you know, on race weekends, but, you know, throughout the shop during the day and making sure that everybody's upbeat everybody believes in each other you know mike believes in me more than than i believe in myself i feel like it, it, most of the time and you know i have that same confidence in him uh, but i feel like he is able to relay that to the team and and get them believing in it and you know before we won the 500 you know he's like hey you know, I, we're going to win this race. We're, we can do it. And, um, you know, we're going to go out and do it. And so, um, you know, he just really believes in, in what we're building. And he's been a part of this sport for a long time. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, even though it kind of felt like overnight with him. Obviously, he became the crew chief in the off season, and, and we win the 500. And you know, then all of a sudden we have a you know pretty stellar year. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done. As we're celebrating Valentine's Day, How'd you meet your wife? Uh, I met my wife on uh, pit road, actually. Um, she was working in the sport. Um, I had hired her brother to work for our uh, sprint car team, and I didn't know he had a sister. Uh, but one of our crew guys from the sprint car team was at, at Las Vegas um, race, and he's like, and we were parked right next to Reddick's car. We had qualified right next to each other, and Madison was uh, working on the account with with one of their sponsors, and uh, our crew guy uh, Drew. We tell him he's the. MVP. MVP. Um, he was like, hey, Ricky, do you want to meet Nicholas's sister? And so uh, we met then. Uh, and then we started, you know, talking and, and we ended up kind of dating um, kind of right during COVID, um, towards the end of COVID there. So we got to uh, spend a lot of time together and just hang out. And I would say kind of the, the first date, I think we built a... Um, a little shed for a donkey that that we found during covid running around uh out by the the road by Wait, the ranch that's the so first date that was kind of the first date yeah and you then we a shed for a donkey yeah and uh and then we we went and got uh mexican food uh at her favorite mexican place obviously you had to get it to go uh but yeah that was i would say that's kind of our first date. and love has blossomed ever since and here we go <laughs> Coming up, we'll hear from drivers that have to qualify and race their way into this year's Daytona 500. Kyle Larson brings his Chevy four tires to Noco Racing Fuel. From fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. He's back here for Ryan Blaney, four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak. This is NASCAR Live. 
Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. There are 42 cars entered in this year's Daytona 500. Only 40 will make the race. There are six drivers competing for those spots, and they'll have an opportunity to lock themselves in on Wednesday evening during qualifying. If they fail to do so, they'll have to race it out in Thursday night's Blue-Green Vacations Duel. That event decides rows 2 through 20 and the official lineup of Sunday's Daytona 500. So who are those competitors, and how do they feel about the task ahead? Our Susie Armstrong is here to help us. As we return to the beaches of Daytona once again for NASCAR's official point start to the season, a handful of drivers have their work cut out for them as they attempt to make this year's Great American Race. There are 42 cars entered for this year's event, with only 40 making the cut. So let's meet the competitors and hear what they have to say ahead of qualifying and the Blue-Green Vacations duel. Up front, though, four cars going for the win. David Reagan and Matt Kenseth showing the way as more cars crash off turn number four at the line. David Reagan will win the Coke Zero 400. David Reagan is back behind the wheel of a Ford as he'll compete for Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing in a third car. Reagan's two career Cup Series wins have come at super speedways. Team owner Brad Keselowski is optimistic about Stage 60 as another vehicle potentially in the field gives his group a boost on Sunday. I think you look at Daytona over the last three years, we've been in position to win the 500, even my last year at Penske. And it, it, the race has literally come down to the last lap or the last restart being the decider. And I haven't had the, the right pushers and uh, haven't had enough wingmen or wingwomen or whatever you want to call it to, to be able to do it. And so we wanted to add another car to increase our chances that if we are in that position again, that we'll, we'll be able to capitalize. Another driver with Daytona 500 experience is BJ McLeod. This year, McLeod will have a different approach on qualifying in the duel. After selling his charter in the offseason, he will attempt to make the race in an open car with Live Fast Motorsports, something he is unfamiliar with, but at the same time is ready for the new challenge. Even though I've had a charter, I have approached the Twins. I've ran the 500, I think, five times now. I have always approached the Twins, you know, just thinking mentally, if I had to make it, you know, what would I do? And and I've never finished or run well in those races because I didn't want to tear up the car, but I've always pushed pit road and, and thought about different scenarios. So I feel like I'm very ready to go try to do that. Um, obviously, the odds are stacked against us to make the 500, but I am. Um, I'm actually looking more forward to the challenge of trying to make it, even if I do miss it, than than going there guaranteed end because uh, it's a great challenge. There are a couple hurdles the open drivers will have to overcome. Anthony Alfredo, who is piloting the Beard Motorsports entry, recognizes that the lack of practice could be an issue as a one-car team. The biggest thing at a super speedway, right, is once you're up to speed, everything's kind of out of your control. I mean, everyone's just holding it flat out. It's like driving around the highway. You just hope your car runs fast. But what is in your control is your launch off pit road and your shift points getting through the gears and those are things i'm not going to be able to practice beforehand unfortunately so not being able to feel where the clutch is going to grab in the car to, to really maximize my launch off of pit road is something i'm doing my best to prepare for uh just to execute everything in my control that i can when it comes to qualifying but then in the race there's obviously a chance we have a green flag pit stop and knowing your markers you know coming off of the racetrack those cars stop a lot 
quicker. They handle a lot differently. So entering pit road and then the, the pit stops themselves are, are different. But I've been fortunate to be able to get some pit practice in. So I'm confident in that. It's just that green flag stop is probably going to be a lot different than what I'm used to in an Xfinity car. So it's definitely uh, quite interesting. I'm qualifying and basically a race before we have practice. Alfredo does have one start in the Daytona 500, so he isn't going into the week without experience, something Kaz Grala doesn't lack either. This will be Grala's third attempt at making the Daytona 500. In the previous two, he successfully made the race. This time around, the driver feels his ride at Front Row Motorsports might be the best he's been in ahead of qualifying and the duel. All that we need to focus on is, you know, Front Row Motorsports bringing as fast of a Mustang as they can so that we cross our fingers and hope that we lock in on Wednesday night. But if we don't, then I, I feel like we've got a really good chance to make it in through the duels. Front Row Motorsports has always raced really well on super speedways. We'll have some Ford allies out there with us. So I do feel good about our chances. I think on paper, we absolutely should be one of those top four open cars that makes the race, but you can never get comfortable. You, you know that anything can happen. So you just have to execute everything perfectly. That's what it takes. One competitor does have a major leg up on the other competition. Jimmy Johnson takes his Chevrolet to the bottom in the racetrack. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will look to the inside, look to the outside, but he will not get it done. And Jimmy Johnson has won the Daytona 500 for the second time in his career. Seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson is back once again competing in the NASCAR Cup Series. In the first of nine events for his team, Legacy Motor Club, Johnson will by far have the best resume of the drivers attempting to make the event on time and in the duel. These drivers have a tough trek ahead of them as their spot in the Great American Race is not certain. With six open car competitors vying to capture four spots, this year's festivities should provide us with no shortage of drama. Thank you, Susie. Coming up, we'll visit with Cole Custer. From outdoor care to home and auto repair, do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. Cole Custer is back in the NASCAR Xfinity Series once again this year, and he returns as the series reigning champion. Cole sat down with our Kim Kuhn to discuss his approach to 2024 and how his life has changed since winning the title in November. Sheldon Creed is up the inside to go to third as Cole Custer begins to pull away at turn two. John Hunter Nemechek is not a factor. He's backsliding. Allgaier not a factor. Here comes Cole Custer off the end of the back straightaway with the lead. He's got two car links in hand. Off turn four. Checkered flag in the air as Nemechek pounds the wall. Cole Custer wins. And Cole Custer will win the championship for the NASCAR Xfinity Series 2023. So the 2024 season's about to kick off. Was the offseason any different for you as the reigning Xfinity Series champ? And if so, how? Well, honestly, it was definitely different because I haven't come off a NASCAR championship before. So 
kind of getting that whole experience, you know, with the banquet and all the different things, you know, that first month of the off season was, was pretty awesome. Uh, but then it's like, you know, you go, you get past the holidays and it's like, man, we gotta, we gotta get back going. We have, we have to do this all again. You know, we want to go back to back. So we want to go out there. We have to be prepared and have to really go over all the details that we need to, to, to be prepared to do this again. So, um, right now, you know, everybody's kind of got that anticipation going into it to see how we can, uh, you know, follow it up from last year. I saw where you have a banner now at SHR that signifies you winning the championship. What was that like? And what is it like walking into the shop and the organization and seeing, you know, your achievement commemorated like that? There's definitely some pride in that. I mean, obviously, being able to win a championship and doing it the way we did, you know, it wasn't the easiest start of the year for us last year. You know, we really had to build and build to make ourselves better. And by the by the time the playoffs came, I felt like we were we built ourselves into a championship team. And um, to have that, you know, that much building and that much work go into it, there's definitely some pride in that. And being able to hang that banner definitely means a lot to, to everybody in that shop that we were able to make that happen. I told Dale, he already came up to me. I was like, I, I feel pumped. Like, it's, it's almost more motivation to go out there and to do it next year. So I'm looking forward to it. I know my guys are going to be behind me. We have the same stuff next year. Do you think there's more or less pressure on you now that you've won a championship? Oh, that's a tough question because, I mean, I think you could say less, but, you know, no matter what, you know, racing has a great way of humbling you. So you're going to, at some point, you're going to struggle during the year and you're going to have to figure out how to make yourself better and your team better um, to, to move on to the next one and try and win again. So it's, there's definitely, you're going to get humbled very fast in motorsports. And I think we're ready for that. I think, you know, there's definitely going to, we're putting, putting in all the work to try and get the details right trying to make sure that we're prepared as much as we need to uh, to do this again as the season starts you mentioned you'd like to go back to back but how do you go about setting goals for 2024 in terms of each and every weekend is it you know the number of races you win obviously another championship would be key but you know after having won a championship how do you go about continuing with the organization and figuring out what you can achieve ahead of you well, I think what we have in front of us is an incredible opportunity to go back to back. But another thing that we've said is, you know, we have a great opportunity to become the standard in the series. And I think also in 10 years, when we look back at things, we can say, wow, like we, you know, and when other people look back on it, you know, those guys had it going on those years, you know, like that double zero car was always up front and winning races. And I think that's, there's some pride in that and something that, you know, we want to strive for to do that when we look back on things, we're proud of it. Um, so I think we have a great opportunity with some great guys to do that this year and uh, really create some memories. And um, we just got to go out there and get the details right to do it. Custer hugs the bottom of the racetrack. Here comes Allgaier looking driver's right off the corner. Here we come off turn number 12. Going to be a drag race to the line. Custer's got the command out in front. Allgaier's on his bumper, but he's not going to get there. Cole Custer, your winner at the Pacific Automation 147 at Portland International Raceway. So do you think you're the favorite? to win this year's championship? Or is it hard to say without having hit the track? You know, I mean, I always try and just take it one week at a time. Um, I think we're definitely going to have a great shot at it, you know, but at the end of the day, we're going to take it one week at a time. And I think if we do enough things right, you know, one week at a time, one lap at a time, we'll find ourselves in that spot again with a shot at it. So um, we'll just take it one step and figure out where we end up. As we look at SHR as an organization, 
Eric Amarola, Kevin Harvick, no longer there. So there really isn't anyone filling that kind of driver leadership role anymore the way that they did. And some of that came with their age compared to everyone else and whatnot. But do you feel any inclination to move into a role like that since you are a champion among all the other drivers at SHR? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that role, obviously, it's earned, you know. So on the Xfinity side, obviously, we're a little bit separate from the Cup side, but I feel like it, that has been a growing thing for me over the last year or two of trying to become more of a leader. And I think it was something that I feel like I grew more and more into that last year. Um, you know, I think there's definitely some things I could do better with that. Um, but I think overall, it, you do take some pride in trying to be a leader because as a driver, you, you're kind of the face of the team a little bit. So being the guy that kind of sets the tone and um, make sure, you know, you got to make sure that you're putting in all the work to get the details right. And make sure that you're prepared going into the weekend like everybody else should. So um, as a as a driver, you have to take pride in that and try and grow into that role. As we head to Daytona this week, what are you expecting as NASCAR kicks off its season? Well, I mean, you look at Daytona every year, it's, it's wild and it's a race everybody wants to win. And, you know, not to mention it's the first race, so everybody's probably a little bit rusty. And, you know, everybody's going to be trying to make these really big moves. And it's just, it always creates chaos, you know. So you have to kind of take it one step at a time, um, kind of ease into it a little bit. You know, everybody's going to be a little bit anxious at the start of the race because it's the first one. Um, but you got to be at, be there at the end. You know, that's how all these speedway races are. You got to be, be, be there at the end. And from there, you can go be aggressive and make those big moves. After turn driver Frankie Muniz said he recently completed some Ford Performance Sim sessions with you in preparation for Daytona and what he's going to be doing there. He thanked you for the help. He was very complimentary of everything you helped him with. What was that experience like? It was cool. You know, Frankie definitely tries to put a lot of time into it in the simulator and just trying to, to learn. You know, I mean, he's definitely, he has experience, but just getting used to the stock cars and different kinds of cars, you know, he's, he's learning and learning. And I feel like he's definitely doing the right things. And it was cool to work with him. You know, I mean, you know, Malcolm in the middle, Frankie Muniz, like that's pretty awesome to say you've worked <laughs> with, with Frankie before. So, um, but he's an awesome guy, super laid back. Um, easy to communicate with. So um, it was definitely a cool experience to get to do. We're excited over at MRN because you're going to be joining us in the booth for some races again this season. What do you gain as an active driver watching another series race? You know, I think it's just uh, you definitely learn little things about the track, you know, how it's changing and things like that. But it's something, you know, I like to work on a little bit, too, you know, like trying to be able to be good on your interviews and uh, just being more diverse on the things that you can do, you know. So you guys always have a blast up there. So it's always really fun to do. And you guys make it easy. So it's it's definitely uh, always really fun to get, get out there with the MRN people. We enjoy having you and, you know, you've been part of our broadcast for a few years now. What's the most challenging thing about calling a race that maybe a, a fan or a listener wouldn't necessarily know unless they were in your shoes? I think it's just off the spot, you know, having something to say. You know, you have to always come up with something, always be paying attention. And, you know, I think, you know, things, the flow of it too, you know, once you learn the flow of who's talking when, when you're supposed to talk, you know, that that's a big part of it also. So I think just getting, getting the flow of it definitely is a huge part of it. Thank you, Kim. Coming up, we'll do a deep dive on the underdogs who have claimed the checkered flag in the Daytona 500. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The Daytona 500 is one of the most competitive races on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. So much to a point where multiple underdogs and names you might be unfamiliar with not only led laps, but sometimes won the race. Over the years, quite a few have shocked us by winning the Harley J. Earl Trophy. Our Kyle Ricky is here to take us through the history of the underdogs in the 500 and why this race provides an opportunity for those drivers. It will be a victory by mere inches. McDowell wins the Daytona 500. Here they come, Cindric trying to squeeze Blaney into the fence, and at age 23, Austin Cindric has scored the Daytona 500 win. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has won the Daytona 500. The Daytona 500 is one of sports' most unique events. It is not only NASCAR's biggest race, but also one of its most wide open. Any driver who suits up and takes the green flag in the Great American Race believes they have a chance to win. And rightfully so with the amount of underdog stories that have emerged in the event. From nine first-time winners to underfunded teams, the Daytona 500 has seen it all. While there were underdogs in the early days of the 500, the run of long shots has become more pronounced since the start of the 1990s. In fact, one of the race's most unlikely winners captured victory in 1990. Half a lap to go. Still, Earnhardt now stretching his lead by another car length over Cope. The body can't do anything with Cope either. Earnhardt's car blows up. Earnhardt Derek. blows a tire in turn number three. Derek Cope down to the inside. Terry Labonte second as Dale Earnhardt slides back into the fourth position. Off the corner, it's Derek Cope. But here comes Terry Labonte. He looks to the inside. Derek Cope covers the spot. Earnhardt's not a factor here. Cope hold off the challenge of Labonte. Derek Cope wins the Daytona 500 in a remarkable upset here at the World Center of Racing. That win for Derek Cope came when he capitalized on the misfortune of Dale Earnhardt, which was his first in the NASCAR Cup Series and one of only two in his career that spanned multiple decades. That victory is what Cope is most known for, and rightfully so. And while some underdog stories are viewed as a fluke, the next 500 underdog story proved he couldn't be counted as one when he won it twice. Coming down to the finish, though, it is Michael Waltrip trying to hold off Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 463 tries. Finally, Michael Waltrip is going to win a NASCAR Winston Cup race, winning the Daytona 500, the biggest of them all. Michael Waltrip's career is defined by his two Daytona 500 victories in a span of three years. While Waltrip's super speedway prowess eventually became heralded, his win in the 2001 500 had to be considered an underdog victory because it came in his 463rd Cup Series start. While that victory was the culmination of years of trying for Waltrip, 10 years after that initial triumph for Mikey, a 20-year-old won the Daytona 500 in only his first try. Trevor Bain playing defense. He's out in front at age 20. He's going to win the 53rd Daytona 500. 
Trevor Bain gets the win for the Wood Brothers. In the early years of the Daytona 500, any win for the Wood Brothers could never be considered an underdog story. By the time 2011 had rolled around, things had changed in a big way. Heading into the 53rd running of the Great American Race, the team hadn't won a race in nearly a decade and put a relatively unknown Trevor Bain behind the wheel. In only his second career start, Bain shocked the world and brought the famous 21 car back to its former glory. The current driver of the 21 car is Harrison Burton, and should he win the 500 this year, it would be viewed as another long-shot victory. Burton remembers Bain's win as one of the best stories in the history of the event. As far as why underdogs have been able to be successful in the great American race, he says chaos creates opportunity. There's been a lot of underdog wins and a lot of guys that have kind of shocked the world. I guess you think of Trevor Bain is one that did that. Something about the 500, when the race gets to the end, you know, it gets crazy. I remember leading late in the 500 list past year and being like, this is getting ridiculous. You know, and at one point I was, you know, sideways and smoke flying out of my car because people are just pushing through you trying to trying to get to win and that chaos kind of creates some opportunity and and maybe that's why uh, i don't know though it's something special about that race for sure in the past few years the race has arguably seen the greatest underdog streak in 500 history the past three winners of the great american race have been long shots to varying degrees in 2021, Michael McDowell won his first career Cup Series race in the Daytona 500, and while he never considered himself an underdog, the ripple effect that that victory had for his small team cannot be denied. I think that the ripple effect is actually bigger and greater than even I expected. What I mean by that is just winning the Daytona 500 does so much for your race team from exposure standpoint, sponsorship, partnership standpoint. It just opens up so many doors, but also too the way that our sport's structured, making the playoffs, that helps how much money you're going to make in a season. It helps the next three years with the way that the charter program works and so there's these ripple effects that even now three years later we're still seeing a result of winning the Daytona 500. The next year we saw the opposite in terms of the driver team dynamic that captured the Harley J Earl trophy. The powerhouse team that is Team Penske won their third 500 but with rookie driver Austin Sindrick behind the wheel. Sindrick has an interesting take on why drivers like himself are able to win the great American race. From an underdog perspective, the Daytona 500, or, or maybe winners you might not expect, it's the first race of the season. It's the first day of school. Everyone's kind of working with, with new people, new scenarios. There's not too many you know, guys that are, that are in the field that are in, into a rhythm. So I feel like that levels the playing field for guys that will inevitably struggle to get into a rhythm you know, more into the season. If, if there's anything that points to that, I, I feel like everyone's kind of starting starting with a clean slate you know at the start of the season with so many dark horse wins in nascar super bowl it is hard to reconcile with the fact that there are so many grades that haven't been able to close the deal in the race the defending daytona 500 champion ricky stenhouse jr thinks it is because most drivers put too much pressure on themselves heading into the event people put so much pressure on the daytona 500 uh, for me i feel like i've always just kind of ran it as you know a super speedway race you know and, and we've won it you know talladega and daytona before and you know i think you know some teams put so much 
pressure on it being the Daytona 500. You only got one opportunity to win it a year. And, you know, so I think a lot of underdogs might go into the 500 with, you know, like, hey, nobody thinks we're going to win. Let's just, you know, kind of go have fun and, and get it done and probably don't overthink it as much. The Daytona 500 is a race like no other. A race built for both legends and long shots. We will have to wait and see which of those stories emerge in the 2024 edition of the Great American Race. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll give you a sneak peek in our newest podcast here at MRN. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We welcome you back to NASCAR Live. Monday, we're dropping our newest podcast series. It's called NASCAR Live Presents 2004 Chasing History. This collection of episodes will take you on a journey going back 20 years to the first season of the chase in the NASCAR playoffs. But that wasn't the only major change that happened that season. We said goodbye to Winston, and we welcome Nextel as the new presenting sponsor of the NASCAR Cup Series. Numerous high-profile drivers made their first start. Dale Earnhardt Jr. won an emotional Daytona 500. The devastating Hendrick plane crash that changed the sport forever. And quite a few other important events in NASCAR's history transpired that season as well. What you'll hear next is some of our favorite moments and cuts from the podcast series as our first episode drops on Monday. It was a season that saw seeds planted by a legend bloom on the biggest stage possible. I still think of 2004 as part of the healing from 2001. This has got to be the greatest day of my life. A season that brought out the best. We're right in the middle of this championship, so we'll just see what happens at Homestead. And the worst. And now they're tackling one another and a fight is on in the pit area. While crowning a champion in the most suspenseful way. We dodged a huge, huge, devastating proposition that would have taken us out of this championship. A racing season that was one of the most impactful in the sports history. There's so much going on behind the scenes in 04, but the headlines that made the sport continue, I think will be 25 years from now when we're celebrating the 100th, somebody will look at a, a yardstick of our history and that'll, 2004 is going to be on there. Motor Racing Network welcomes you to NASCAR Live presents 2004 Chasing History. It, it had a pretty good runway on it. I know Matt feels like and we laugh about it or I do he, he made me not yet uh, that it was a reaction to him locking up before we got the last race but we've had a lot of races or seasons locked up before the last race it was more about a long conversation four or five years worth of conversation about the strategy of winning a championship as opposed to the strategy of winning a race and so as the pendulum started going in favor of the year-round championship, what we were wanting to do is figure out how to get the pendulum back every weekend. You need to win today. And if your goal is a championship, that's fine. We want you to have, we want you to be that have to have that as your goal. But you, you need to do it every weekend, a step at a time. I think it all depends how you look at it, right? It's all a matter of perspective. I mean, in, in a way, I guess I would take it as a compliment because the 
the point system was the same basically for since the beginning of NASCAR. We're pretty close to it. Maybe there's been a few changes, but for a long, long time it was the same. And um, and if they want to give me credit for getting it changed or, or however you want to look at it, um, it was it was really fine with me. It really didn't uh, it really didn't bother me. Everybody on their feet in Daytona. Dale Earnhardt Jr. now with a three car length advantage over Tony Stewart. Dale Earnhardt Jr. looking for the checkers. Coming off turn four to the line to settle the Daytona 500. Dale Earnhardt Jr. pulls down to the start finish line. He will win the 46 running of the Great American Race. He had a great car and we worked great together all day long to try to stay toward the front and try to help each other when we could. And uh, I'm, I'm glad... I'm happy as hell to win the Daytona 500, and I'm glad I got to race my buddy Tony Stewart for the win. I'm glad Michael's okay. That was a scary-looking accident, and uh, this has got to be the greatest day of my life. And the crew chief, Tommy Baldwin Jr. for Casey Kane, has made his way down and is on the war wagon in the face of Tony Stewart's crew chief, Greg Zipidelli. Crew members pushing and shoving. His NASCAR officials get between one another, and now they're tackling one another, and a fight is on in the garage area, in the pit area. Crew members from both sides getting involved. Bobby Labonte's crew coming over. They were pitted nearby teammate Tony Stewart. Pushing and shoving in the pit area here at Chicagoland Speedway. You know, Tony Stewart and I still laugh about that uh, today, but, you know, they were on a restart there, and, you know, there, there's a little bit more to the story. Tony and, and Casey had some uh, had some off-track stuff going on that may or may not involve the young lady. I don't know. Mayfield goes back to turn three looking for the checker flag. Last victory back in June of 2000 at Pocono, Pennsylvania. Tonight in Richmond, Virginia, it's Jeremy Mayfield going back to the winner's circle as he wins the Chevy Rock and Roll for. Already a near disaster and still a potential disaster for Kurt Busch. He got about midway between turns one and two, and the car just simply would not turn. He did an amazing job to keep the car off the wall. Ran literally two inches from the concrete all the way around through turns one and two. Kept it off the wall, immediately headed for pit road. Yeah, Fenning said, all right, all four are back on there. They're tight. We now see that the center section of the wheel came apart from the outer rim. So it was a wheel failure. It wasn't a wheel bearing or something with the hub. So it just gave me the, okay, let's just reset and work our way back up. And I don't remember much of the rest of the day until about 50 to go. Kurt Busch not being pressured. Here's Biffle coming into the corner. Greg Biffle all by himself. Biffle's going to win the battle and Busch will win the war. There's so much going on behind the scenes in 04, but the headlines that, that made the sport continue I think we'll be 25 years from now when we're celebrating the 100th somebody will look at a, a yardstick of our history and that'll 2004 is going to be on there Folks, don't forget, the 10-episode podcast series will drop a new installment every Monday of each week starting this coming Monday. You can hear it at MRN.com or wherever you download your podcasts. Coming up, we'll close out the show by revisiting the 2004 Daytona 500. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, the Daytona 500, obviously coming up on Sunday. We continue our countdown to the Great American Race by flashing back 20 years to the 2004 Daytona 500. The sport was still healing from the loss of Dale Earnhardt Sr. That day, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s performance at Daytona provided us with one of the most emotional moments in NASCAR history. Dale Earnhardt Jr. tried it coming off turn two to the inside. Couldn't 
couldn't get it done. Tried it again in turn four, and this time it may work. They're side-by-side side for the lead, coming off turn two. Tony Stewart up high, Dale Earnhardt Jr. down low. They're door-to-door, racing for the lead. Now Stewart will reach out and grab the top spot. Earnhardt falls back in line, now rushes up against him. They almost make contact. Earnhardt back to the lead in three. Wheel-to-wheel, not any longer. Dale Earnhardt Jr. top spot at Daytona. Tony Stewart back to second. Kurt Busch is right there, and Scott Wimmer wants a piece of the action as well. Dale Jr. had said he couldn't get anybody to draft with him. He looked like he didn't need anybody right there as he's grabbed the lead away from Tony Stewart and is pulling away by two car lengths right now as they shuffle back to turn number one. 18 laps to go. Dale Earnhardt Jr. tried to flex some muscle. He made the move. Now he's going to try and pull away from Tony Stewart. Stewart glued to the bottom of the racetrack. Try to reel him back in. He's got some drafting help from behind the lap car of Kurt Busch. Stewart trying to hit the comeback trail. And we can't wait for another great American race coming your way on Sunday. That's all the time we have for you for this week. Our thanks to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for joining us. Also, our thanks to Cole Custer for stopping by. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we thank you for checking us out as well. Don't forget, it's all about Sunday, the 66th running of the Great American Race. You'll hear it live on the Motor Racing Network, and we'll chat about it here next week. So long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.